Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of The Living Spirit, Answers for Healing and Infinite Love, which shares stories of spiritual awakenings, communication, healing, miracles, and a guide to inner soul intuition. I am most delighted to welcome once again a most gifted and insightful visionary, entrepreneur, and investor, Rizwan Burke, author of his newest book, Treasure Hunt, who will share ways to view the hidden messages in the form of hunches, gut feeling, deja vu, and to provide guidance in our relationships, our jobs and career decisions, and our investments. To hear Rizwan discuss his other book, Zen Entrepreneurship, please go to my website, CherylGlick.com, and the radio page, January 27, 2014, where you may listen to uh, a former interview on Healing from Within. Hello, Rizwan, and thank you for joining us again on Healing from Within. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for having me on again. Great to be here. And thank you for continuing to write and share your wisdom with the public. Rizwan, as listeners of the show are well aware, my guests and I share the latest thinking, often based on quantum physics and a metaphysical approach to viewing life in its multidimensional layers for a clearer view of knowing ourselves, life, and being able to master our emotions as we discover our life plan and destiny and conquer any challenges that block our way to accepting life as it is, people and experiences in a clear and truthful manner. In today's episode of Healing from Within, Rizwan Burke, a businessman, film producer, venture capitalist, author, and a thought leader in productivity software shows us how to listen to our inner clues, uncover our hidden treasure map that shows us the work we are meant to do and the path to get there. Life is not only a dream and a possibility, but we really do have everything we need to succeed once we learn to interpret messages from within. Rizwan, you may remember I asked you this question, but it's been a few years, so perhaps not. But I always <laughs> love to ask my guests to think back to their childhood or earlier days and remember either a person, event, place, or idea that seemed important to them and may have heralded the way they would live their adult life. Because I think we're born with a soul wisdom uh, that leads and guides us every day of our life, but we just have to access it, tap into it. So think back for a minute. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't remember you asking me that question, but it has been a couple of years. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, Good. <laughs> you know, for some reason, I'm drawn not so much back to my childhood, but I'm remembering um, when I was in college, uh, my yoga teacher at the time, mm-hmm. um, who was from Ireland and had been actually uh, had taught physics at MIT where I went to school. And, you know, I knew him initially just as my yoga teacher and then realized that, you know, he was someone who was combining a lot of quantum physics with a lot of Eastern techniques. And then, you know, we lost touch after that. And years later, you know, I would write Zen Entrepreneurship about 
those types of uh, topics as well as treasure hunt. So I see now looking back at, at that at that time that that gentleman had been an influence on me, even though I wasn't consciously thinking of doing things like this at the time. Well, that's how things go. <laughs> if we allow the flow <laughs> and allow ourselves to grow and evolve, of course, I never thought I'd be hosting this radio show for seven years, nor writing three books, nor even becoming a medium and a healer. Because uh, I was living pretty much in the physical world and uh, dictated to me uh, by belief systems and not from my inner heart wisdom, but from my ego or mind thoughts and intellectual thoughts. So thank goodness we change and grow. That's a wonderful thing. So now, now, yeah. now it really is. You are a successful entrepreneur who has studied, you just said, at MIT and Stanford Business School. Um, and you became interested in the metaphysical aspects of developing a spiritual practice in life. Many people do not equate the two arenas to be in alignment with each other. Tell us about your thoughts on this. Sure. So you're right. Most people think of these as very different worlds, and you know, so did I when I first graduated from MIT and was doing my first startup. Uh, and I wrote about some of these experiences in, in my first book, Zen Entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, I started looking at meditation as a way to help me with focus and concentration in my career. But as I became more and more involved in, in these topics, I realized that perhaps it was the other way around, that the situations in my career were being created to help me with my personal and my spiritual growth. And so, you know, it's very difficult to separate where the spiritual and where the secular, um, you know, overlap with each other. And, you know, this book, Treasure Hunt, is about the treasure map that each of us has inside that is a set of probable situations that we might encounter, you know, in this life. Uh, and I like to use the analogy of a treasure map because um, uh, I like the old Indiana Jones films like yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> and are in those, great. Yeah. yeah, aren't they great? In those yeah. films, wouldn't it be nice for Indy if he just got a map at the beginning of the film and it said there's a little X here and that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. All he has to do is go and get it. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, it wouldn't make for a very interesting movie. And second, it never works that way. No. Uh, he gets <laughs> one clue and where does that lead him? To the next clue. <laughs> And where does that lead him to the next clue? And if he follows the clues, he can find the treasure. Uh, and and, if and we, you know, Rizwan, I think in the most successful people, as you just said, they are merging the two aspects of the life of their life, their physical and spiritual. They are following the intuition and clues, and it just becomes so normal and natural for them. And I, I have found that in the most successful people in the most comfortable, people who are comfortable in their body and in this world, in the physical life, have learned uh, to merge the two and not see them as separate entities, as so many people would. But let's go on to, tell us, in the treasure hunt of life, what are some of the clues and how do we need to allow ourselves, this is very important, to be in a state of mind and heart that will open to this new way of thinking and being? It's a process and it, it, it demands some consistency and some evaluation uh, of who we are and what we are so we can really know the clues. 
That's right. And so, uh, you know, in the book, I talk about different types of clues. And, you know, in, in this model, a clue is usually a combination of an internal and an external event. Now, it could be as simple as, uh, you know, years ago when I was doing my very first startup, sometimes I'd walk by a building and I'd have a funny feeling about that building. And then late, a few years later, I would end up having an office in that building. And, you know, that's one of the, the types of clues is when you have this funny feeling. Uh, the feeling is internal, but it's something in the outside world that's sparking that particular funny feeling. Now, synchronicity is a great type of clue. Uh, and, you know, Jung defined it as a uh, meaningful coincidence, but he also defined it as an a-causal connecting principle where two things are connected, but you can't scientifically or logically say, you know, this is because of that. Uh, and many of your listeners may know, you know, one of the original stories that he used to describe synchronicity, which was that he had a woman in his office who was telling him a dream, and in the dream there was a scarab an Egyptian beetle. And just as she described the dream, something tapped on the window. So Jung opened up the window and in flew uh, a beetle in Austria that was probably about as close as you could get to an Egyptian scarab in, in that part of the world. And he said, look, there's the beetle from your dream. Now, you can't logically say it came in at that moment because she was describing her dream, but somehow that experience had an energy that helped her to start making progress you know, in her in her therapy, which she was kind of stuck in at the moment. And so, you know, it could be as simple as we have we think of someone we haven't talked to in a while and they call us uh, or, or it could be a series of unusual circumstances. Uh, so, synchronicity, or is it, you know, Rizwat, or is it uh, that we are picking up the fact that they're going to call us and then they call us and sending out that intention that perhaps we'd like to talk to them and then they call us like a communication uh, between energy thoughts. Right. So hard very to know much, the difference. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know the difference. And, you know, and, and I sometimes say it's hard to, to know what is causing what, right? Is right. it the future event sending back information to the yes. present? And there's a lot of quantum physicists who believe that, that is how it works, and we have these potential probable futures, and we're tuning into them. Uh, another type of clue is a dream, uh, where this happens a lot as well. And, uh, you know, I had an experience in my first company where I had a dream about a competitor that I hadn't thought about in over a year uh, on one morning, and I thought, huh, that's odd. And then later that day, uh, a business partner of ours, IBM, called us and said that they're working on a, a secret product, which they're about to announce, and they wanted to give me a heads up because the product was going to crush our our product. And you know, I wasn't very happy that they had called me to say <laughs> that they were going to crush our product. And I asked them, well, how is it that I've never heard of this? And they said they bought that competitor of ours, the one who I had the dream about that morning, and they had bought him a while ago. And so, you know, we do pick up on things that are happening now. Did the Dream happened because of the phone call in the future, or was the dream just picking up on this announcement event? It, it's hard to say, but these Very types hard. of experiences yeah. you know, happened to me again and again. And in the book, I have lots of case studies of, of, of many different people who – And me either... too. It happens to me also. <laughs> and, and, and I'd like to say I, I kind of start to feel uh, that the past, present, and future are all happening simultaneously and the energy is swirling and part of our energy might be there 
here and above. And, you know, you tell a story. I want to prove that, but uh, it's a feeling that I have. So you tell a story of your friend, Danny and Brinkley, who I met many years ago at a workshop. And, and I loved listening to him. And at the end of the workshop, I told him what a fantastic relayer of the truth of spirit and life beyond life was and, and how he described his near-death experience. And he hugged me. And after his near-death experience, part of his spiritual gift or his heightened intuition was that he could see a running picture of a person's spiritual talents or destiny mm. or life plan. And when he hugged me, he said to me, you are a wonderful teacher of truth also. <laughs> and I never forgot it. But you tell the story of his near-death experience in the book uh, and how he discovered what his real-life purpose was. And there are, that's also a near-death experience or a spiritual transformative experience like hunches and synchronicity and intuition and all the other ways uh, that connection to this higher universal energy works are all valuable. And I liked his story. So do you remember how he told the story of his near-death experience? Yeah, you know, Daniel's a great guy and he describes it, uh, you know, very – uh, very well in terms of you know what happened to him on the other side and uh, uh, you know so I've talked to him a lot about um, you know this book and this idea of a treasure map and you know I, I tell his story in the book more as as a case where he was given you know a specific mission <laughs> when he came back and and part of it was to spread spiritual love mm -hmm. but he also you know brought back a term called spiritual capitalism uh which is a state where each of us is basically exercising our talents in the world mm -hmm. and we're able to make a living doing that and so you know that's a term that I think is very appropriate as we look at bringing spirituality into our lives you know the other mission he was brought back with was specifically to create these relaxation centers because he saw that people were going to be more and more stressed out and he's created you know these beds that vibrate at certain frequencies based upon what he saw almost i guess 40 years ago now right yeah and a so long time. you know recently I, I sat you know i lay down on one of the beds that he showed me and you know when he came back from his near death experience he had no idea how he was going to build this stuff right and uh, you know the but but the the beings of light that he encountered said don't worry when the time comes, you'll, you'll know. <laughs> you'll know, and you'll be able to figure it out. Now, or we'll help you. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. And but they now, do. And I use that as an example of somebody who has a clear mission, still doesn't know how to do it, but knows that the spirits will support him. For most of us, though, you know, we we go through what uh, the the Buddhists call the river of forgetfulness, or mm -hmm. the Chinese say uh, they has the goddess of forgetfulness, Meng Po who brews the tea of forgetfulness. So, you know, we might have all of these things we were meant to do in this life. Um, and you, if you look at the work of uh, Dr. Brian Weiss, who wrote uh, Many Lives, Many Masters, and Dr. Michael Newton, who wrote Journey of Souls, they both regressed people to before birth. And in both cases, they found there was this planning session where you're looking at the, the most likely events. We'll call these probable events in the upcoming life and the probable challenges you'll have and the people that you're supposed to meet to resolve you know, these challenges with. So we learn all that, but then we drink this tea of forgetfulness and we're born and we forget our mission in life completely. And so for most of us, 
you know, who don't have a near-death experience like Daniel did. We only get little glimpses of what uh-huh. we're meant to do. And those are the clues. It's the little things that call out to us, you know, that tell us, hey, this is important in some way, um, you know, for our lives, for our careers. And it, could, it, it happens with our, in our personal lives as well. You know, when we meet someone and we feel like we've known them for a long time. Mm-hmm. So we break through that forgetfulness and we do have little insights. I I mean, for me, I remember when I was 17, I saw a show, Man of La Mancha, and I heard the song, The Impossible Dream, about uh, doing good in the world. He was an older man who was chasing windmills, but really, he, he was somebody of clear spiritual courage and moral dignity. And it spoke to me very loudly and sort of I wanted to do something to go beyond the scope of ordinary things and learn how to um, be a force, right, in the world for change and creation. And uh, I never forgot that. And years, many years later, uh, when I had a dream and my grandfather was standing there in the dream and telling me I had to write something for my father, And the next day I got a call from my mother that my father had passed and I wrote his eulogy. I didn't Mm. put together because I was living a physical life. I really wasn't into a spiritual look and I wasn't into metaphysics at that time. And I wasn't a medium at that time, though I was, but I wasn't (laughs) yet aware. You weren't consciously, right. Yes, I had forgotten my purpose (laughs) and had to find it again and again. But but that's how it works in dreams, in um, meeting people, in something that motivates you from the earliest days of your life, perhaps. Uh, when I was very little, three years old, I remember looking up and I was crying. And I looked up at the sky and I said, why did you drop me here? I had no idea who I was talking to, but I knew this was a challenging place. And there was much I had to learn to understand in order to do the work that I was born to do. So it is very interesting how our intuition comes to us in so many ways. And I like that you told about um, the big dream, because I had that was a big dream for me <laughs> that awakened me and set me on a path for, for the next 20 years of learning how to communicate with spirit and how to uh, let people feel through energy. I do Reiki energy uh, healing and to let them feel their own soul energy and their connection to their purpose or life mm. life plan. So you talked about uh, a big clue is in the form of a big dream. And you told the story of James Cameron, the director and writer and I just love that story and movie so much. It's so meaningful to me. So tell us something about that. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, dreams are one way that we get messages. Sometimes we have to interpret those dreams and try to figure out what they mean, just like we have to interpret clues that come to us in, in waking life. But this is an interesting one because, you know, when, when James Cameron was a young man, he was working on uh, these kind of B movies and he was in Italy working on one of the movies and he got very sick. So he ended up having to spend the whole day uh, kind of in a fever in his hotel room rather than being on the set. And he woke up from this fever and he'd had a particularly disturbing dream. And in this dream, he saw robots emerging from a fire. 
you know, and he wasn't sure what to do with this, but it was one of those images that, that stuck in his mind. So he decided to draw out a picture. And, you know, this is one of the tips in the book that, you know, when we see a clue or we have a dream that has a certain energy, we should honor it with some physical action. Uh, and so he drew this picture of this robot emerging from a fire and he showed it to one of his friends who was also working you know, on these B movies, uh, his friend Gail. And she said, well, that's really interesting. You know, what's the story behind this picture? Uh, and so she encouraged him to, to think through the entire story. And so he ended up writing a screenplay. And that screenplay eventually became the screenplay for The Terminator, which, as we know, launched you know his career as a director, launched Arnold Schwarzenegger, his friend Gail Han Hurd is a famous Hollywood producer now. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, it was a great story where, you know, a compelling image from a dream comes to somebody uh, and it points at the work they were meant to do. And, you know, there are many scientists who have had dreams that have helped them resolve a particular problem. So I like to say that shamans and scientists are very similar, even though they talk completely different language. You know, shamans go into non-ordinary yeah. reality to bring back an answer for the tribe or for a specific problem. Well, scientists often, for example, you know, Mendeleev was trying to organize all the elements into some coherent structure, and he wasn't able to find one. And as he was dozing, you know, he saw an image of these elements lining up nicely into these rows and columns and mm. he jerked awake and realized that was the answer. Now, he still had to do the work in physical reality, just like James Cameron had to go and write the screenplay, right? <laughs> just because you got the clue doesn't mean you don't still have to do the work and do all the techniques, but the clues give us guidance and they give us direction, where to go. Sometimes they, you know, give us timing. And so, you know, dreams are one very important type of clue that I talk about, you know, in the book. Uh, and sometimes it's a dream that comes to us unbidden. You know, certain in certain Native American traditions, they say the story stalks the storyteller rather than the other way around. Well, uh, my my view on it is that those who love us in spirit are whispering in our ear, in our dreams, and in our waking time to inspire us. And I don't think anything of value any piece of music or play or uh, written great, any great literature or scientific discovery has ever happened without influence from this higher universal uh, field of energy and wisdom and life and intelligence. And, uh, yeah, it's true. That was a dream, but it was a dream. It was something he was born to give to the world. And it's one of the movies, when I see it again and again, it shows up. I get interested <laughs> in it again, and I'm delighted with it because it's so creative and it's so <laughs> fanciful. And at the same time, so real about some of the real problems that we're having in the world right now. So with your technical and business background, how do you feel we might intelligently and spiritually deal with many national and worldwide problems of war, civil unrest, political malfeasance, and a lack of social grace that we are witnessing at the present time? And that's a very very big question. So if <laughs> yeah, you that's approach a very big it question. from whatever end, it will be valuable. Well, well let me start with, you know, how you mentioned you, you go back to that, that film, The Terminator. And so do I. In fact, I'm writing an article just now about uh, technology and artificial intelligence. And, mm -hmm. and, and could AI spread to the point where you have <laughs> something like a Skynet? 
you know, there are many people in Silicon Valley and elsewhere that are worried that AI will become super intelligent and take over the world. And so the Terminator is a great reference point to try to explain to people, you know, how that might work. Uh, so I've been referencing it myself. Uh, you know, I, I tend to focus more on the personal. And if you look at, you know, I, I, I talked about Jung and his definition of the, of the term synchronicity. Uh, you know, he was a big believer after the world wars that what we really needed to, to correct our problems. And you could argue, you know, they had many more problems in those years than we, than we had now, given, you know, the number of people being killed, et cetera. And, and his answer was that the process of individuation, uh, which, you know, he defined as becoming the person that we were meant to be, uh, was the answer that if we each worked on ourselves, then, you know, the world will be a better place, both in terms of the work that we're meant to do, but also in terms of harmony and peace in the world. And, you know, I tend to be a believer in that as well. People tend to, to, to jump on these bandwagons and get very tribal about things rather than tuning into their own inner wisdom and rather than working on, you know, the work that they were sent here to do. And that's what the treasure map and the treasure hunt is all about. Uh, you know, the rules of treasure hunting that I go through in the book, the first rule is, uh, is it unusual? Um, you know, I, I told the story of when I had this dream about a competitor. It was an unusual dream because I had never dreamt about that guy before. Uh, the second is, does it repeat? Is there something in the world that's confirming it? And then the third rule is that clues are personalized mm. and they mean different things for different people. And so I encourage people to find the clues that represent themes, you know, in our own careers and in our own work, because that's what, what, you know, ends up being fulfilling. And that's part of what we're, we're meant to do. I, I tell another story in the book about, uh, back in the nineties, I had just left my first startup and I didn't have a job. I was living in Boston and I was thinking of trying to spend some time in California where I live now part of the year and some time in Boston. Only problem was I had no money <laughs> and it wasn't well, a very easy. That's yeah. how, that's how we all start off. But you see, if we have the right attitude and we're hopeful, we listen to those inspirational um, little messages in any form that they come into, watch for them to repeat, you know, are hopeful for what we wish to create in the world. It's all going to happen. That's the law of attraction. What we invest our time in, we can create. And, you know, you spoke about Carl Jung twice today. I'm always delighted when I have a show and I speak with one of my authors about him. I sort of have a feeling uh, that he was a spiritual teacher, a psychologist, someone who had a near-death experience, and he described it as indescribable because where he found himself in the energy of the afterlife was too beautiful for words. And so I uh, I like that you mentioned him twice and, and that I could say that to our listeners, that he did have a near-death experience and he was very much aware of the forces of the universe, guides, teachers, holy vibrational beings, loved ones, angels, or whatever you think of it to be, a divine force that works with us, loves us, and wants to help us with our challenges in this physical world, and we merely have to call on them. So I want to thank you, Rizwan Burke, 
author of your newest book, Treasure Hunt, for being a treasure yourself. Your efforts to share the wisdom garnished through self-investigation, self-mastery of emotions, following intuition, hunches, clues, synchronicity, and the little voice within to find your best life and success in spiritual and practical physical ways. To purchase this book, go to zenentrepreneur.com or amazon.com. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, Rizwan Virk, a creative and intuitive author, shows us how to look beyond the expectations of those around us and the world for what matters most to us and to go within to hear the quiet voice and to dream the big dream or perhaps to pay attention to synchronicity and to open to a universal world of energy that holds the clues and answers to our life journey, a journey that can be immeasurably enhanced and filled with the potential to thrive beyond all expectations. As Rizwan wrote, internal clues are very important to familiarize yourself with. These are feelings that you get before you make a decision about some course of action. This includes recognizing the funny feelings that come with seeing an external clue or noticing some tightening up or tingling or other sensation in your body at the right time. One of the most powerful ways to distinguish between a real message and a superfluous one is to learn to recognize inner signals, feelings, or sensations that alert you to a message, to alert you that a message is there. These signals are part of learning to find the way to the Holy Grail. They are like metal detectors that tell you a clue is present. Rizwan and I would be delighted for you to awaken to the many clues, messages, and feelings we are all receiving from the world of spirit or universal energy, whatever you wish to call it, which wishes to help us find our life plan and destiny in ways that are joyful, positive, enlightening, and energizing. Begin simply by listening from within. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing from Within, and invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com, to read about and listen to leaders in the field of higher consciousness who guide you to find out who you are and how life can be made more magical by knowing and listening to the messages of guidance from above. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you.